Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another mini coaching episode brought to you by the mini coaching sponsors. For just $5 a month, we get to have a virtual cup of coffee, and I get to offer you some personalized insight into a question you submitted. If you want to join the other mini coaching sponsors, getting their questions answered, go to patreon.com slash survival. And when you join, you'll notice the exclusive bonuses inside as a thank you for sponsoring the show. I'll leave links in the show notes. So today I want to go into two questions that we got submitted that I think will really resonate with a lot of you because they're probably questions that you have as well. And I try to make these, try to make my answers as general as I can so that I'm answering not only for the people that are asking me these questions, but for you who's sitting there wondering the same type of question, or maybe you have a different rendition of it, but you're struggling with a similar thing. So Jessica wrote, my 12-year-old son has experienced a great deal of anxiety over the last year due to a number of changes that are beyond our control. House moves, moving countries, that's a big one, right? Joining a new school, COVID, that's been a big one for a lot of our kids. He has spectacular meltdowns and he can say things that are very hard to hear, such as that he doesn't want to live anymore. Many times, however, these meltdowns are preceded by my son getting into trouble over his screen time and losing his privileges. He has an iPod and gets to play Xbox in moderation. And generally, we try to impose reasonable limits of screen time, although we have had to be flexible during the pandemic. Sanity first, for sure. (laughs) What tends to happen is that his iPod is taken away and this precipitates angry outbursts. And sometimes he'll physically try to get the iPod back off me including grabbing and scratching at me. Thereafter, the meltdowns pivot to him pouring out his woes and insecurities. No one likes me. I hate it here. I want to go home. And at this point, I try to empathize and help him to calm down. And eventually he calms down and will apologize to me saying, I'm just worried about X, Y, or Z. These meltdowns can sometimes last over an hour or more. And in the end, everyone is so exhausted that we might just all watch some TV together later on to keep the peace. My question is this, is this really anxiety or is this just his way of trying to get out of sanctions and have I, in trying to help him, simply trained him to throw a huge strop, which for those of us in the United States is big meltdown when he gets in trouble. I should say that his worries are real in the moment and not all of his meltdowns are related to screens. He also has a tendency to be negative, have all or or nothing thinking. And I find it really hard sometimes to know where to draw the line between digging deeper into his worries, or simply distracting him and getting him to move on? Thank you. Okay. That's such a good question on so many levels because a lot of parents struggle with what is behavior and what is anxiety or OCD and what am I being, you know, quote unquote manipulated around and what is like a genuine just escalation in emotion and, and struggle. And there's a mixed answer for this, but I I think a lot of people out there can be nodding their heads being like, yes, I have some rendition of this. My child has difficult behavior sometimes. And then all of a sudden it turns into an anxiety or an OCD thing. And I'm like, wait, what? Or how do I approach this difficult behavior when I'm not sure if it's anxiety or OCD related? The first thing I want to address that is just very like practical is when it's possible 
and you're restricting electronics in a perfect world. And I know it's not always a perfect world for sure, but you want to see if you can find a way to do it without physically getting into, you know, a tug, a tug of war. So there are plenty of apps out there where you can restrict access through an app and there are tons of them. So you can just Google that. I think Apple in and of itself has plans where you can do stuff with the electronics. And I know like with my kids, like sometimes we'll lock the screen at night so that it's stuck on their guided imagery and their music and they can't access anything else. I have worked with parents where they have turned off the Wi-Fi, which can be disruptive for the rest of the family. So it depends on what's going on. Or I've worked with families where they've taken the keyboard if it's a computer so that the child can't use the computer. In a perfect world, you do want to see if there's a way that you can get that iPod to just not be working without you having to get into a physical altercation because that's always setting you up for failure when you have a tug of war when it comes to things like that. But moving on from there, you know, I think in general, our kids with anxiety and OCD, they are building up their stress, their frustration, their anxiety throughout the day, throughout the weeks, throughout the months. And depending on where they are, as far as the level of anxiety or OCD they're dealing with, it's building rapidly or it's slowly accruing. And then something minor can happen like, hey, get off your iPod or hey, do you do your math homework? We're actually dealing with that literally right now. So if an angry boy bursts into my office, which I actually hear him coming down the stairs right now, you know, then you'll know what's going on over here. Uh oh. <laughs> okay. Well, sorry about that. <laughs> you don't know, but I had to leave for like 15 minutes, but I'm back. See, this is real life parenting happening on the podcast. So that's a good example, right? Like my son wasn't doing his math homework apparently. And I found out and because he's dealing with his other stressors and all of his anxiety and OCD issues, he's going to have a bigger reaction to that then maybe another kid would, where another kid might be like, oh, fine, whatever, she caught me, okay, I'll do it. Where, you know, I get tears and big emotions. And you probably do too, if you have a child with anxiety or OCD. So it's not that they're not upset about getting off the iPod or the Xbox or the computer, but it's like, how filled up are they? Are they in the red zone? And Sometimes they're in the red zone. And so when they have huge emotions about something that's a typical parenting issue, when they are emoting and they're like having this meltdown, because their cup is overflowing, it is very common to then have them start to like spew out all the things that are going wrong in their life. I don't think most kids, and I, you know, I mean, I'm going to say most kids are not calculating and saying, I don't like the way this is feeling. I don't like the way this is going for me. So I'm going to like switch and tell her that my life is horrible and that I never wanted to move here. I don't think that's the intention of most kids. I'm not saying all kids because there are those kids that know how to squirrel you and know how to get you to feel bad and, and turn things. But I think on the whole, a lot of our kids, you know, they just crumble. And I mean, haven't, haven't you felt that too sometimes where you're so stressed and then just one last thing happens and then everything falls apart and you're just like, I am done. I can't handle this at all. I can't handle you. I can't handle my job. I can't handle blah, blah, blah. And just like everything starts to crumble. <laughs> Maybe that hasn't happened to you, but it has happened to me where I have just had like, I've filled up and then I'm done, done. So that doesn't mean that, you know, we just go ahead and give them the iPod back. That really wouldn't be sending a good message. And you're not doing that, Jessica. You're not saying, okay, he like crumbled. 
And then I felt really bad for him. And then I gave him his iPod back and we all played video games together. <laughs> you know, you're not saying that. You watch TV together. So I have a couple of thoughts. One, I think it's good to stick to your guns. And I'm talking to you and I'm talking to everyone else who's listening about whatever boundary you are setting to begin with. And that can be really hard because I can sometimes feel really bad and I'll feel like, oh gosh, this is a little bit too much. And sometimes I want to take my parenting back. You know, I want I want to be like, oh, this isn't one. Sometimes I'm exhausted. I'm like, this is not worth the blowout that's happening. I don't have the energy for this. And I wish I could take my words back because this is not a battle I really feel like fighting right now. But we really want to stick with our boundaries and stick with what we say because you're right, inadvertently, we can be reinforcing negative behavior. So if you know, I say to my child, go pick up your shoes, and then they go off on this huge meltdown and say, you hate me, you always tell me what to do, why don't you love me? And then I get squirreled and I say, honey, I love you. It's not a big deal. Fine, I'll pick up your shoes. Well, then inadvertently, I've just reinforced that behavior. And so, yeah, down the road, it could become more calculated. I think when our kids really lose it or having a genuine meltdown, and we can tell the difference most of the time, I don't think they're doing it in a calculated way where they're plotting and planning to say something else, but you still do want to stick with the initial thing that caused the meltdown. So yes, definitely still no iPod. I'm sorry that you're feeling this way. I'm sorry that you feel like no one likes you. I'm sorry that you hate it here. And I'm sorry that you want to go home. I know those are really hard feelings and I get it. I get how hard that can be for you. So we're validating all the things that he's saying, but we're not undoing whatever discipline led to that emotion. And I hope that makes sense. Resetting and watching TV together, that's apples and oranges because you weren't taking away the TV, you were taking away his iPod. So it's literally just not not backing down with the one thing that you were doing, right? So if my son started to flip out and say, I can't handle this math, and actually that's what he did. He just came to the door and he said, mom, I'm not gonna do it. <laughs> I've, made, I've made the executive decision that I'm just not gonna do my math. Well, that's not an option. He doesn't get to decide that. And so instead- you know, I spent 10 minutes. You don't know that because we fast forward in time, but I spent 10 minutes saying, let's talk about what the biggest struggle is. And it's this whole, like submitting it online. That's really tricky for kids. And so I said, give it to me and I will take pictures of it and I'll send it to your teacher. And that seemed to reduce his stress and anxiety, but I wasn't going to say, okay, you know what? You're right. Don't do your math. Even if I wanted to, cause I might be like, you know, today I am tired. I don't feel like having that battle, but if I did that, I would be sending a message for the future Natasha and for my future son that says, her words don't matter. Don't worry about it. She says these things, but she doesn't stick with it. So consistency is really helpful for our kids with anxiety and OCD. Now, I would say that because there's an indication, Jessica, that that your son is bottling things up, that I would want to touch base with him when he's not in trouble and when you're not giving him a boundary or restriction so that he can empty that bucket and not fill up so much. And so I would go back to communication and really work on building up that communication and touching base with him once in a while. And that's going to look different for each person, but it is a little tricky with boys, especially 12-year-old boys, or my son is 11, to get them to open up when they're not feeling vulnerable and when they're not feeling, when they're not overflowing, right? So sometimes we have kids where like they just overflow when they're upset. And then otherwise they're like, I'm fine, I'm fine. So you might want to do some fishing, (laughs) some metaphorical fishing and, you know, mentally, maybe in your mind, pick a day once a week, but rotate it. So he doesn't know there's a pattern and say, that's the day 
and I'm going to try to touch base with him. Or maybe once a week, you look for that opportunity, and this might actually be a better idea. Look for that opportunity when you can tell that he's kind of in a talkative mood. He's being a little bit more vulnerable, a little bit more open and go, you know, I it's COVID. So I don't know where you live. So I can't really say go grab a drink somewhere. If it was pre-COVID, I would say go take him out for hot chocolate or something. Get out of the house, go talk somewhere. I'm in Arizona. Right now we could do that. We can go sit on a patio somewhere. We can go sit in the backyard, but going somewhere private and having some space and making it fun and saying, let's make some hot chocolate or get some popcorn and let's just talk for like 10, 15 minutes and see how that goes. And so we're trying to get our kids to empty their bucket. It doesn't mean that they're not going to, or that they're going to be able to, but we're at least providing an opportunity outside of them emoting and having a meltdown because we don't want them to get into a cycle that says the only time I release this valve is when I am losing it. When I have reached the top and beyond the top, I have no more room and I'm going to, I'm going to explode. And that's when I'm going to get my feelings, you know, out of my body. We don't want them to have that pattern. So a lot of times if my child is gone and they're saying these things, but I know it's not the time to process that. And I want to maybe stick to my guns and not get squirreled, you know? And so I might validate it and say, I get that. That's really, really hard. Well, then give me my iPod because I need it to relax. Well, I get that you're feeling that way. So we're doing a lot of validating, but we're not then giving them, yeah, here, here's your iPod back. I, I didn't realize that you needed it that badly. We're not setting up those kind of patterns, but I am also going to file away the themes of what they're saying. So if he's saying, nobody likes me, or he's saying, I, I don't like living here, or I hate it here, I want to go home. Even if I don't talk about it and explore it in that moment, which I probably wouldn't. And if I had to, because you know I'm getting like old, I write these things down so that I can remember to touch back and talk to them about it later. So that would probably be a really good thing. So I hope that helps a little bit. I think I'm just trying to think if I had anything else to say, but I don't. (laughs) So Jessica, thanks for submitting your question. And uh, I hope to hear from you next month when we do this again and give us a follow-up or let me know of another question you have. Steve had a follow-up question that he wrote for this month. He said, we've been doing really well with your suggestions. I'm not going to say his son's name because I'm not sure if he's okay with me saying it. Blank is happy to talk with me about his anxieties. I've learned that the best time to ask is when he takes a bath before bed. He's willing to chat. So Steve has found that little window, which is awesome. And you want to find that little window for you and your kids. When are they the most open to communicate? Sometimes right after school is the worst time for some kids. And sometimes it's the best time. It's right before they're relaxing. Sometimes in the car, it's really easy because they can't see you. There's no eye contact. And for other kids, that's the absolute worst time. A lot of kids like to talk right before bed because they don't want to go to sleep or because their brain is starting to quiet down and they have all these emotions. Steve was saying that his son likes to talk while he's taking a bath before bed because it's probably relaxing for him. So find the time that works for your kids. Start to observe that and notice a pattern. Gosh, every time I say, how is your day? I get a bark. But later at night when I'm putting him to bed, they're really chatty about it. So maybe I'm going to carve out a little extra bedtime before I put him to bed so I can really have that opportunity to talk to them and not feel rushed. I would caution talking about really upsetting things at bedtime. I try not to do that because I have found that with my daughter, especially she's in a very emotional mood at bedtime. And if I try to process, like if someone was mean to her and she's just remembering it at bedtime conveniently, um, I don't think it's manipulation hundred percent. I think it's just all those raw emotions come up at bedtime. 
And if I process it with her, she'll be up for hours. She'll cry and she'll be really emotional. But if I process it the next day, she is a lot more resilient and able to hear my words and hear what's going on. So sometimes she needs a little space. So that's her. That might be different for your daughter or son. So you have to figure out their patterns. But Steve went on and he said a little off topic from the previous questions I had. Another thing we're dealing with is a fear of going outside alone. He and his brother used to ride bikes or scooters outside and go quite far down the street. However, he had a scare with a homeless person who was shouting and acting erratic and generally being scary. My wife was there to see it too. My kids ended up riding home fast as my wife walked back. And now my son's afraid to ride his bike and scooter around the neighborhood. I'm starting the exposure reward system you've suggested in one of your videos. I'm hoping to give him little goals to start with and reward him and let him move up to bigger goals with bigger rewards. Any suggestions on how to navigate this? Okay, great question, because I bet a lot of you are wanting to maybe do some sort of exposures or challenges, call it whatever you will. So doing this hierarchy of getting your child to be in discomfort and then moving up the discomfort. And so they take one small step at a time to the point where they reach their goal of whatever that will be. So Steve's question can be really generalized for a lot of you in how do you set up an exposure reward system? And we'll use Steve as an example going through what his son is going through. So you can use this for anxiety or you can use it for OCD. Um, And I actually have, I have three online classes that walk you through this for actually, depending on what theme you're talking about. So I'm going to give you a brief overview. And I know Steve has just joined the AT Parenting community. So welcome, Steve. So I'll really get to know him over there in the AT Parenting community, which is very cool. And so Steve, you have free access to the anxiety class. You can get free access as a member to one of my larger classes. So I have a crush anxiety class, how to teach kids to crush anxiety. And I have one on how to teach kids to crush OCD. I don't remember you talking about OCD at all. I'm pretty sure you've only been talking about anxiety themes. I have one on how to crush social anxiety and I have one on how to crush moral OCD. So I do walk through in all all of those online classes, how to do exposures how to do what is called ERP exposure with response prevention so that you can learn it step-by-step. So I definitely would recommend that you get the how to crush anxiety class if you haven't already, and that will really help walk you through this. But to give you a general answer so that you can get started and for other people can hear it as well, you really want to partner with your child. You can't do exposures if your child is not willing or able. And so if they're not motivated It's a different conversation because the conversation will be, what are you accommodating and how do you pull back that accommodation without your child? Because your child's not willing to do an exposure. So if, if we're asking for them to change their behavior, we have to have their buy-in. And so the reward system is really helpful in getting buy-in. I have found that to be a really, really helpful thing. So you start with the reward system (laughs) because if you start with a thing that they're afraid of, they're not going to really be into this conversation. So you're like... I want to reward you for bravery. I want to come up with a bravery chart of how I can reward you. Let's talk about some privileges or rewards or prizes that you can get. Um, At my house, it's super easy because my kids love Roblox. So Robux is a very easy thing for them to earn. Some parents will have like privileges and you don't want it to be punitive. And so you don't want it to be something that they normally could do. And now you're taking that away and they have to earn it. I've worked with some parents who, who will do that. And so they'll be like, You have to earn your phone time or you have to earn your computer time where in the past they got that without having to earn it. So that's really not a privilege if it wasn't before. So you can have them earn, you know, baking night where you get to bake brownies with your mom, or you can have like movie night 
or sorry, there was a, somebody shut a door and I'm not going to edit it out. So that's okay. But you do really want to find what is really rewarding for your child. In my house, it's things. I know a lot of parents have an issue with that. I find that to be very powerful. And so it's Robux or for my daughter, it's Barbies or it was LOL dolls and that moves the dial. So start with him figuring out what rewards he's going to want to earn. So that gets him excited. And then you start with him and you say, what would be the coolest thing if you could ride your bike again all the way down the street? So we want to work on motivation because we want them to see what life would look like if they were able to overcome their anxiety. And so start with that. You know, does it upset you that you can't ride all the way down the street? You know, how did it feel when you were able to just kind of go there and not be afraid? So you're trying to get him to experience the reward, the intrinsic reward of being able to do the thing that's hard. And even if he doesn't care and he says, it's not a big deal, I don't mind. I don't really miss going out. It's not that hard. The reward in and of itself can motivate kids to do it, even if they're not motivated by the change that will happen. That will be a reward that they will experience down the road. And then you say, okay, what is our goal? And so you guys agree on a goal. Is my goal to be able to go all the way down the street? And you have to make sure that that it's safe. You know, that is he legitimately safe? Is is he gonna feel safe? Is your street safe? Are you feeling good about it? Um, and how do you convey that to him that he's safe? What can he do in case of an emergency? What could he do again if that ever happened? So we have to, before we do the exposures, when it comes to anxiety, not OCD, don't do this for OCD, but when it comes to anxiety, we want to help problem solve and do red thoughts and green thoughts. And Steve, you'll hear about that in my anxiety class. So don't worry about that. You, you'll you experience that when you take the class. But we want to be able to have those those reframes, you know, of his, his brain is now telling him his block is not safe. And even if you throw a bunch of rewards at him, but you haven't reframed that thinking, it's not going to go that well. So you have to talk about safety, why the block is safe. You have to believe that yourself. And you have to talk about a contingency plan. Hey, if that ever happens again, what could you do? This is what you could do. Um, And so you have to really address all that and you probably already have. And then you start to say, what number would it be for you to play outside right in front of our house? And you you get a number, one to 10, right? I like to get numbers so that I can gauge how, how difficult would this be for them? So we might say, well, you know, that would be a four. I don't know. I'm just guessing. And what number would it be if you played from from our house to the second house, right? Like two houses down, what number would that be? Now for some kids, it's like a 10 the entire time. And for other kids, they're gonna give you a beautiful range, which is helpful because that makes the hierarchy a lot easier because you want him to come up with his steps ideally. And it sounds like he's becoming more open and he's talking to you. So you might have an easier time with this than some other parents. So he might say, well, I can go in front of the house and then I can go two houses down and then I can go three houses down and then I can go four houses down and then I can get to the end of the block. Sometimes with kids, I don't go all the way down to the goal. I don't want them to see the end result because it's too overwhelming for them in that moment. They're not ready for it. And if they know that we're working towards that, even if they intellectually know that, but we don't spell it out for them, they do better. So a lot of times when I'm, when I'm seeing kids get anxious, I will just highlight the first step or the first two steps. So I might say, what number would you be to like just play right in front of our house and not on his bike? Cause that would be kind of weird. It might be too hard. You know, could you, you know, hang out in the front? Could you like, I don't know, get some chalk. I think he's nine, but I'm not sure. Could you get some chalk and like draw on the block or could you do something right in front of our house? 
and then see what number that is. And then you start with that. Yeah, if you can do that, then you can earn blah, blah, blah. If you can do that for a certain amount of time. So when you're making exposures, the other thing that you want to be really aware of is you have to define every little step or anxiety will find a loophole. OCD will definitely find a loophole. So you might say, okay, well, here's a challenge. And we want to define it as such. We want to let them know what exposures are. I have plenty of YouTube videos on it. You want to explain what a challenge is, how it's helpful, gamify it with a reward, and then say, hey, okay, your first challenge, if you choose to accept it, is what? What should it be? And get them to like be a participant in developing it. And then a lot of times the kids will be like, I don't know. And so then you can suggest things. Well, okay, I'm going to throw out ideas, but it doesn't mean you have to do it. What about being in front of the house? Okay, well, that's not that big of a deal. What number is it? It's a four. Well, if you do that for 30 minutes, you can earn blah, blah, blah. Okay, now we have our first challenge. Then he does that for a few days and it's super simple. And then you move on and you say, you've been doing really good. And I think this challenge is one. I think you have won. You've beat your anxiety on this one. What could be our second challenge? Because you're not going to just earn stuff forever. That is really easy. So what's the next step? And you get him to define it. And if he doesn't, then you suggest it. Could you go two houses down? And depending on your child, I would rather err on the side of going too slow than too fast. Because if you go too fast, you might lose them forever. If you go slower, there's going to be more confidence and trust in the process and you'll eventually get there. So I I rather err on the side of slowness than fast, but some kids will leap ahead. and, And if they're willing to leap ahead and I think they can handle it, then I will have them leap ahead. So see how it goes, have him come up with some ideas and just start the challenge. You don't have to know every step of the way because it can change over time. You can have a child who will think it'll be a 10 to go halfway down the block, but once he sits outside for a while and he observes the people in the neighborhood again, it might be less. So I hope that helps. If you have more questions, Steve, because I know you're in the community, you can ask me in the forums and you can also go into the AT Parenting Community Facebook group and you can tag me and I will definitely continue to help you over there. But keep everybody posted. I know the podcast, people will wanna know how things are going. So hopefully next month you'll give us an update. And if you have other questions, you can ask here as well so that I can answer you and other people can benefit from hearing that response too. So I hope that you guys are enjoying these mini coaching episodes. And like I said in the beginning, if you wanna be a participant, it's super simple. You can be a mini coaching sponsor and you're sponsoring these episodes for just $5 a month. And you can go to patreon.com slash AT Parenting Survival and join. And I'll be answering your questions as well and getting to know you through the podcast. So if you're enjoying this podcast, don't forget to hit a star on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you consume your podcast. I do like to end the show by reading one of those reviews. I haven't done that in a while. And so I want to say thank you to Beatles man who wrote a wealth of information. I found this podcast after finding some YouTube videos to help my daughter with her OCD. It has been so informative. Natasha is on so many different platforms that it would be hard not to find her. She has been a blessing and I highly recommend her in every medium. Thank you. I really appreciate that. That is true. I am on YouTube. I am on podcast. I am on the internet. I am on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. (laughs) You can find me at AT Parenting Survival. So I hope to see you in any of those mediums and thank you for taking the time beetle man to write a review. And if you leave a review, maybe I'll be reading your review next time. So don't forget to find the sparkle in everything you do. And I'll talk to you again next Tuesday. Take care. 
Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com.